I've got my hands down right over your head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crushing your head. He's <laughs> crushing your head right now. You can't tell, but I'm crushing your head with my gigantic fingers. <laughs> oh my God. Where's that owl? <laughs> Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Sam. Oh, well, I mean, you know, it, 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 I'm sorry, Don, you know, that's how it is with Zoom. We all talk all over each other. <laughs> yeah, but only, you know, Zoom enforces that only one person speak at a time. How are they doing that? Because the microphone will only play one person at a time. Oh, that's oh my God, though. I, I, I got to share with you the, the, a realization that I have had. Um, what was it? It was the movie with Jim Carrey where he was God. Jim yep. Carrey and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. And some of the Zoom meetings that I've been going to lately um, have, you know, it's like 50 people in there and they get everybody to unmute themselves to say prayer, to do the that's what we do. Yeah, that's what we and, do at Shivering Denizens. So, but the thing that, that hit me is like, there's at one point where Jim Carrey has now got the powers of God and then he hears the prayers and it's this cacophony of prayers from all over the planet. And he just, it's just like constant. Yeah. And that is what that totally reminds me of. Cause I'm picking out one person saying this part of the serenity prayer and another person saying this part. And it's crazy. Yeah. If I was God, I would be angry and fr- I'd drink. <laughs> I believe I'd drink if well, I had to listen yeah. to that all the time. <laughs> Lord. It's a good thing that you're not God. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what this whole thing's about. <laughs> Me not being God. And so are you. Well. Not. So are you not God. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you're, not a, you're not a grammar teacher either. Um, <laughs> neither is God. God doesn't care. So, Don, how the hell are you? <laughs> I am just letting go as hard as I possibly can. Oh, I haven't heard that in so long. <laughs> well, it's the truth. It's, it's just, I mean, everything's the same. The world is uh, up in flames, and I'm sitting over here and letting go. <laughs> it's like, don't ask me to get a bucket of water. I'm letting go. No, I do care. <laughs> I do care about the world, but I'm letting go of the stress of it. Dude, I hear you. It's, yeah. um, it's an interesting thing. I, uh, so like I mentioned, I, I've been uh, going to some Zoom meetings lately, uh, and they're in Palm Springs. So we move on Thursday. Oh, and I yes, I have to rub it in. And, and you, um, gave, you delivered to me today <laughs> a mask, a face mask that has an owl's face on it. So it looks like I'm wearing an owl head on my face when I'm wearing it. And it is great. (laughs) You know, and we could actually post a picture of you in that thing because it's not a full face photo. Oh, yeah. I'm anonymous in it. (laughs) (laughs) Who is that masked stranger? Anyway, 
So, but yeah, so I've been doing those Zoom meetings and uh, so I'm leading a meeting tomorrow. Uh, Good, Sam. You know, you that's like how they do, do it. <laughs> you were like not doing it for a while. No, I mean, you had I backed mean, off a little bit for a while. I'm glad did, to hear had, that, yeah. you, that yeah. you are leading the meeting. I am. And, and the, that's the interesting thing is that it's going to take me a while. I mean, I've been to meetings in California before, but it's going to take me a little while to get used to this because um, this particular meeting is a uh, 7 a.m. meeting in California in Palm Springs. And, and the way they do it is the lead is what I am tomorrow. I'm not leading the meeting as in running the meeting entirely. They You're have a secretary who opens the meeting and then I'll share for the first 10 minutes. Um, but I also do run the meeting from after the secretary's announcements till the end of the meeting when the secretary takes back over. So I'm calling on people to share and, and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. But one of the things that takes so much getting used to is, you know, here we call it crosstalk. There, when a person leads the meeting, when they share a lead, people, people are them. speaking to that person about mm -hmm. what they shared as well as their own experience, strength, and hope. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird thing because I don't have that experience in me in sharing. So I'm doing an awful lot of listening right now, just kind of, you know, getting Fig my, the feel for it. Figure out how they do it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's different in different places. But what I like about it is uh, that, I mean, to move, you need to get to know everybody there. But also, you need to let yourself be known by everybody there. And that's the way you get in the middle of AA. Exactly. You know, if, if, uh, if you can't tell your story when you first move, somehow jump into being of service in the meeting. Yeah. So we've got a guest that needs to jump in. We do have a guest. Hi. Who are you? Hi. I'm Angela. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Angela. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome, Angela. I'm glad you came. So tell us, when did you, when did you first get sober? Uh, my sobriety date is April 21st of 2009, and I came around to AA probably about six or seven months before that, but was not willing to take all the suggestions initially that I was given. Mm-hmm. Well, like, for example, don't drink yeah, that one was really tough. For me. <laughs> <laughs> that one's that one's hard. Yeah. What happened to you inside that made you willing to quit and follow someone else's example to get sober somebody else's way? I think the first thing that had to happen for me is I had when I first came around, I didn't understand what it meant that the first drink is the one that gets you. I thought that everybody must be really lightweights because I thought it wasn't until uh, I hit the drink, you know, that got me. Yeah. And lightweights. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't even handle one drink. <laughs> exactly. And so I was 37 years old when I got sober. I, um, I had pretty much been able to figure out how to do anything in my life I had ever wanted to accomplish. And so I thought I could figure out how to quit drinking 
as well. And um, so, you know, when people were like, you need to get a sponsor, 90 meetings in 90 days, go to meetings, you know, read the literature, all that stuff. I was like, well, you people need to get a life because like, I've got a lot going on and I quickly lost all those things I had going on. And that's what brought me to my surrender. It was loss. Yeah. The final straw for me was that I uh, lost custody of my daughter at the time. Oh, no. Um, but that's that's what it took because you could have taken anything. And when I lost custody of my daughter, I was really finally willing to do whatever it took. And that's when I did do, you know, more than way more than 90 meetings in 90 days. I was calling my sponsor every single day, you know, really started taking on this program as a lifestyle. Mm hmm. That incorporating it into our lives is a huge thing. It's not just something that, uh, that I do. It's, 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 recovery for me cannot be compartmentalized. It's got to be across the board. Yes. Was it a struggle to not drink or did you quit and it, you were done with it? People have different reactions. Initially, it was a struggle. I mean, I couldn't even put 30 days together. I mean, somebody even made me a, a half they cut a 30 day chip in half and gave me a chip for two weeks because I just could not. But once I finally comprehended what powerlessness was, I was powerless, but I was no longer helpless. And I started to do what was being suggested that I do instead of drink. And at that point I was willing to go to any lengths. And that like, for example, what, what was a suggestion? Uh, well, like calling my sponsor every day, going to meetings every day. And at that point, um, I was going to two and three meetings a day because I had lost custody of my daughter and I was just willing to do whatever I needed to do. So how did you get that first sponsor and how uh, soon? I got that first sponsor pretty quickly and um, it, she's been my sponsor ever since. But oh, cool. She just, you know, I felt like I was kind of the imagery of what I was like when I first came into the program was kind of like a pinball and a pinball machine. And she was just this very peaceful, full of grace woman. And I was like, how can you be like that? You know? So that's what attracted me to her. And thankfully she stuck with me and has been my sponsor ever since. How many times you relapse? Oh, during that first six or seven months, I mean, I can't really say I ever got sober. You know, I, I would, like I said, I could barely put two weeks together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my sick. experience was kind of like that too, getting started. And one of the best descriptors, descriptors uh, <laughs> that I ever, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally, descriptors.com. Um, I heard this years later it just resonated so strongly for me. And it wasn't that I kept slipping. It wasn't that I kept relapsing. I never got any traction in those early days because I was picking up a chip, chip, start, chip, start, chip, start, chip, start, chip. I mean, it was just a daily or weekly affair and and it just, yeah, I I didn't have any traction. Yeah. And I had never known anybody sober in my life. It was just kind of crazy. I mean, I work in the medical field and you would think medical people would know more about sobriety, but they don't. We don't. I didn't. And I have this stack of start over chips. But, you know, once I started doing it the way the program suggested, I've 
had only progress shifts since then. That's fantastic. It's it's a miracle. It really is. Yeah, it is. It was different for me because I was so defeated when I came to AA. Well, I guess I didn't want to go to AA. I knew what it was and I knew it, they meant, it meant quit drinking. And so I was not going to do that. I didn't want to do that. And then one day, suddenly it was clear to me that I'll never be able to go any number of days without drinking. It's, I don't have control of it. It has control of me. I liked what you said about like you were a competent person. You've got control of your life. You've got control of things. I mean, that's the way I felt. It's like, what do you mean I'm powerless? It's like, how can I be powerless? I'm running a business. I hadn't, I didn't lose my business, but alcohol kicked my ass. And I was so defeated. I was so clear, so clear to me that I could not stay sober without doing AAs that I just surrendered. Tell me what to do right when I walked in. So it's interesting to hear that. Well, let me add to that question or, or build a question off of that, Angela. And that, that is so, you know, powerless over alcohol. I got that. But the unmanageability you know, when I hear someone like you talking about how you just, you were like winning at life, except for the drinking. Um, and then everything fell apart, which is kind of what happens to us. But before everything fell apart, you know, I could see, or, or was this unmanageability part of it hard for you to, to work with, to deal with, to accept? Yeah, the unmanageability piece was very difficult for me to accept when I first came in um, because I had not lost anything uh, that I could perceive as a result of alcohol. Um, But I managed to, you know, have two car wrecks, lose two jobs, or let me say I surrendered two jobs to alcohol, you know, and then lost custody of my daughter. All of those happened after I started trying to get sober. Oh my God, you just nailed up the problem. The problem is trying to get sober. Yeah, exactly. No. (laughs) (laughs) If you just keep drinking, you no. Okay. (laughs) All right. That one was bad. So that, that was when the unmanageability piece started like learning about unmanageability and powerlessness kind of went hand in hand for me. Gotcha. What, what was something that like I'd, Okay, here's an example from my experience. I did not like the insanity, talking about being insane in the big book. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I was insane. That's just crazy talk. <laughs> but, but eventually I did come to see how like I could lie to myself in an insane way. <laughs> I could believe two things at the same time. Uh, I could believe that, like, for example, I told my wife that I was going to quit drinking for two weeks. And after one week, I started drinking. And she said to me, what are you doing? We said two weeks. And I was, no, we didn't. We said one week. And I believed that we said one week. And at the same time, I knew we said two weeks. Both things were true. And when I really looked at that, it's like, what the hell's going on in my mind? That's insanity, the insanity of alcohol. So 
What do you think about that? Giving your clinical opinion. Yeah. <laughs> do you think I'm insane? I'm still trying to get I'm still trying to get confirmation that I'm not insane. I'm gonna need a copay up front for that. <laughs> well played, well played. Yeah, you know, to me, I definitely did not think at that time I was insane, but I've always thought of that step more as I think that the came, came to, came to believe, because at some point I was like looking around the rooms and thinking if this can work for everybody else, it can work for me too. And now when I look back, every time I was drinking, I was believing that alcohol was going to help me figure things out. You know, oh, I was yeah. putting my trust in alcohol. I trusted it to help me uh, be more confident. I trusted it to calm my anxiety. I trusted it to do all those things. And I had to come to believe that this program could help me with all of those things. Um, everything I had relied on alcohol to do, I had to believe that the program was going to teach me how to do. Oh, Angela, that is powerful stuff. You know, one of the things I absolutely love about Alcoholics Anonymous is that someone can, 20 people can say the same thing a different way <laughs> and I won't get it. And then the 21st person says it their way. And then it's like, wow, bam. I have never heard anyone put that the way you just put it. I've got chills. Thank you. Well, you're well, welcome. I'm glad you heard that 20 times before. <laughs> <laughs> that, that we got to watch you have a little epiphany right here well, it's i'm so just gonna shiver <laughs> <laughs> well you know what you like what i think about all day is my higher power and all i thought about was drinking and when i wasn't drinking i thought about drinking when i was drinking i thought about when i'm a, how i'm gonna get, get more and when i was like had decided that, you know, I'm going to drink three o'clock today is when I'll start drinking. Then until three o'clock today, I'm thinking about three o'clock. It was like had complete control of my mind. So that's my higher power. And you said replace, replace it with what you learned in the rooms. And a lot of people, the higher power and is the rooms. The higher power is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and all the people in it. And if I replace what I think about all day to that, and that's trust in my higher power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I definitely used to turn my will and my life over to alcohol because I would do things when I was drinking that I would not do sober. And so I just had to learn how to apply that in recovery because it, it's interesting to hear people that have a, a really hard concept with higher power and we get so philosophical and so everything about it mm -hmm. it's like well gravity is a power greater than you you know bad traffic is a power greater than you you know can i believe that aa is at least an equal power as alcohol and maybe will take me in a better direction um, because the decisions i made when i was under the influence of alcohol were all, you know, didn't always lead to destruction, but most of the time did. And the, you know, what I get led to when I'm under the influence of the steps, I don't get into trouble. That always leads me to sanity. It always leads me to peace. It always leads me to joy. Now there may be pain in that process, but 
you know, most of the time now I'm not that person like the pinball and the pinball machine. Most of the time now I have this design for living that helps me to feel calm and peaceful and rational and, you know, just to live life in a completely different way that I never imagined possible. Even in the midst of a pandemic. In the yeah. midst of a pandemic, in the midst of, you know, I mean, I've had family members, my mother, my brother have died since I've been in recovery, mm -hmm. married and divorced in AA and stayed sober through it when, you know, the person I was with did it. And that was tragic. It was awful to go through that. And, um, you know, but if I'm powerless over my disease, I have to believe I'm powerless over somebody else's. And so I just can't ever put my reliance in another person or anything like that. I have to trust the program first. Did you get your daughter custody, your daughter back? Yeah. Uh, as soon as actually, uh, I was offered custody back really early. And, um, by that time I had enough sanity to say, you know, I think we should do it gradually because it had been 50 50. And I said, I, I think we should do it gradually while I'm still getting, you know, more of a foundation in recovery because when she wasn't with me, I was freed up to go to more meetings and everything. So a guy that was in the program or still is, but I remember this day he told me, he said, stop fighting, stop trying to get custody of your daughter. If you put your focus here, you're going to have her back before you know it. And that's he was crazy. Like, that's crazy. I, I, yeah, I hear you. That's like people would say things like that and that wouldn't make a lick that, of sense to me that surrender it to win no thing to yeah it made no sense to me but probably that you know it was one of those moments of clarity though that god allowed me to hear and i listened to it and you know my relationship with her today is amazing and um you know it it's one of the gifts of recovery for sure um so yes yeah, so it was maybe about six months before she was back with me half the time again Mm -hmm. uh, wow. That's a, a, to me, that's a huge example of letting go. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and a, and a huge, uh, example too, that, that letting go doesn't mean that I don't care. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No. Letting and I mean, and for the, for probably the first month when I actually did get sober, um, I was not even able, like my, her dad wouldn't even let me talk to her on the phone or anything because he didn't want her to think I was changing if I wasn't. So, you know, to any moms out there that have lost custody of children or anything like that, you can stay sober without custody of your child. And it's still the best thing to do um, because eventually, like I said, all of that was restored and much quicker than I thought it would have been and much quick, quicker than if I had kept paying my attorney a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there, because that wasn't what was going to get me custody back of her. That's part and, of fighting. Yeah. Definitely. Continuing to pay that, and yeah. Angela, you just uh, you just made my my eyes tear up. Um, I I love. I, I was having a, a a little Facebook conversation with someone who's normal, someone who is not an alcoholic. Um, there are a few people in this world who uh, don't need necessarily humans anonymous, but most people do. Um, this this woman does not. And one of the things that she was talking about was some experiences that she had had both physical health and others that, you know, she uses to help people now. 
And I shared with her a phrase that I learned in these rooms, and that's our, our greatest liabilities become our greatest assets. And for you to speak to the moms that are, have, have lost custody of their children uh, and to be able to share exactly what you just shared, which is hope with some instruction. Um, hope with instruction. It's <laughs> huge. It takes some willingness to do the instruction part. <laughs> it does do that. So what, when you came in, well, you didn't go to a treatment center. No, I didn't. I didn't either. And, and I know a lot of people feel like that, that, I mean, that's great if you have the means to be able to do it, but it is possible to get sober walking into AA or doing it online. I've, I know lots of people getting sober right now online mm-hmm. in Zoom meetings and telephone calls and FaceTime and staying so, in touch that way. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Well, so, so I would love for you to, to kind of contrast something for us then, and, and that is what was that first meeting like compared to what's a meeting like for you today? Me? Yeah. <laughs> so I told my substance abuse counselor during my first like few weeks of AA that I wasn't going to go anymore because all they did was talk about drinking, which is so not true because once I was sober enough to actually listen to what was being talked about, you know, to me, the whole thing now is about living sober because alcohol is not my problem today. Living life on life's terms is my problem today because I'm still selfish and self-centered and, you know, it can still be my default to want to react instead of respond. So today that's what I need. And, you know, I have a quick forgetter. So I forget to pause when agitated or doubtful and ask God, you know, I forget to use these tools. I feel like, you know, 80% of the time I remember to use them. But if I go a couple of days without a meeting, I revert to my old ways, you know? So today that's, that's what a meeting's like to me is like, it reminds me of all these tools I have in my toolbox. The reset. Yes. It, re- it resets my mind. It's like I get, I re- get reboot. <laughs> mm, yes. And all the tangled up, flawed circuitry gets straightened out by going to a meeting. Because it, it, over a period of time, it turns into a rat's nest up there. It picks up that little toddler Don running towards the road and turns <laughs> him around. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So uh, you came into AA, you're getting sober. Can you share one of the steps where it seemed like an impossible thing to do and something happened and, you know, it was an epiphany, a a real change in your thinking due to working one of the steps? Um, I think the most powerful example that comes to mind immediately is my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was six weeks sober, when I actually was six weeks sober. And um, my immediate thought was that I needed, that I was in fear and that I needed to ask God to remove that and that I needed to find somebody to help because she lit, you know, and that's directly from the big book. And the fact that that had been, you know, had come, that was my salute. And I would think like, okay, well, she's, she's four hours from me. So it's not like I can just go visit her every day. And I had to do what was best for my recovery. And what I would do is I would be like, 
yes, she's dying, but she's not dying today. What can I do today to show my mother that I love her? You know, God's not going to give me tomorrow's tools for today's work. And when she dies, he's going to give me what I need to get through that too. That's a lot of trust there, Angela. It was crazy. And, you know, and then the day that she died, like I calculated the number of days I had been alive because I had been an hour of my life without my mother. You know, like I, that wouldn't have been my mindset. It would have been how come, you know, before recovery, it would have been, I just got sober. How did, you know, now my mom's dying. How can this happen? And everything. Pile it on, pile it on. But my immediate thought when she got diagnosed is who am I to say how long anybody's life on this earth should be? You know, like I had some humility and I had some new tools to start, you know, and that was my first tangible evidence that this could work. And an example of your thinking changing. Yes. It was so early in sobriety. But it was, you know, I had been coming to meetings for a lot of months. But you hadn't been working the steps in all those months. Oh, I would try. But then, you know, I would actually drink when I would start my fourth step because everything I had done was so much more painful and tragic than anybody else because I was one of those unique alcoholics, you know. (laughs) But, you know, there's nothing unique about getting drunk for the fourth step. Only I say that that's a real test. Are you willing to go through with this? Am I really surrendered to Alcoholics Anonymous? Am I really going to do these things they're asking me to do? And writing down where all the people I've harmed and what my part is, is difficult. And it, it requires a lot of courage and it requires a lot of surrender. But the result is what you've described. You learn how to live in the world. In a different way. I, there was one time when it was one of the first time it was, I don't, it wasn't with first time that anything like this happened, but it was the first time this happened with anger. And I was working on a job and I had a crew of four people working for me. And I was a hothead. I was, I was hard to work with. I was hard to work for because I could, everything had to be perfect. I went up and this was bad. They had taken all these oily rags and put them in a paint can, which we do. We were, I'm a painter. And so we worked with rags and got them oily and they took them all. And what we need to do is spread them out. And I had talked to them about this and they took them all and jammed them into a metal can, like a trash can. You know, they, what they effectively did was make a bomb. (laughs) Because those oily rags will catch fire if compressed and long enough. And I walked up there and was going, what? That, it's like, and this is in a, in a furniture showroom. So the expense, if I burn down all of this furniture, is going to be horrible. So I was angry. And I went, Don, you're angry. Don't say anything. I took the rags and I spread them out the way that they're supposed to be. And I turned and walked out of the building. This is weird behavior. I'd never done anything like this before. I walked down to the railroad tracks and prayed, asked God to direct my thinking. Show me how to get through this. I'm angry. I breathed. What I did was a breathing meditation, calm down. And then I walked back up and I said, Guys, if 
we put if you put all these rags together, you make a bomb, and this is what we need to do. And everybody was really appreciative, and they never did it again. But that was the first time, I think, where when agitated, we pause. And it went in. It, it, it's not that it went in. It's that it came to me. It was the first time that something in AA came to me in, in the uh, immediacy of my behavior to go, oh, I'm doing that thing that we talk about in AA. Yeah. And to me, that's what it's all about now is instead of using my immediate reactions, there's been something in the book, in the big book and in the 12 and 12 that I can use those tools that I can pick up and use in real time in my life instead of doing things the way I used to, you know, so for me, it's like step six and seven, like doing it a new way instead of the old way that I used to deal with it. So like, I, I really, you know, at some point just want to go through the big book and 12 and 12 and like pick out every single tool, you know, because we've got this spiritual toolkit laid at our feet and it's such What does a, that mean? What does it mean? Well, yeah, what do you mean spiritual toolkit? So, I mean, like using exactly what you just did, like remembering to pray, to ask God for direction, to ask him to move that character defect, to ask, you know, to, to just stop and use whatever tool, you know, whether it's asking God to remove my fear and show me what I should be or restraint of tongue and pen, you know, uh, develop, developing self-restraint, like it talks about in the 10th the step, the on awakening, the when we retire at night, like pick it, you know, actually using those. It's not just reading them in a book. It's actually using that in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I think that's, the key as far as the people that I see in Alcoholics Anonymous that are happy, happy, joyous, and free are the people that use those things. So, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to do it a different way because my way got me here, you know, and it's not just about drinking for me today. It's about the selfishness, the self-centeredness, all of that stuff. Like that's not the woman I want to be. I want to be of service to God and others. The, per the person I was drank. The person I was will drink again. Yes, yes. And the person I was was annoying at best. <laughs> That's hard to believe, Sam. You're so precious. <laughs> I don't see. I just don't see how that could be. Ooh, and y'all know my favorite things? <laughs> What's that? Well, I love on uh, with the resentment prayer. I love that it says right after it that you don't really have to mean it because... Like I used, to, I used to always pray these prayers and if I felt like I was being inauthentic, then I would just stop praying. But once I got into recovery, I realized it's more about the action than the feeling. Like my life before recovery was all about what I felt. It was never about what I did. It was mm -hmm. about what I felt mm -hmm. and what I felt justified anything I did. And now it's the opposite. I have to take the actions and the feelings will follow. Yeah, I was really concerned about being a fraud. And mm -hmm. that's one reason I didn't want to pray, because I didn't believe in this. Yep. Me too. Yeah, that, that, another one of our wonderful cliches, if I can't think myself into right acting, I have to act myself into right thinking. That's, that's that. I mean, to trust my feelings, to act on my feelings, is a, uh, it's a risky venture. Sometimes I might be right, maybe even enough to justify me risking it every time, but that was then. 
You know, I've learned a different way of living today and I've got my own evidence. I've got my own experience to fall back on now. It's not just yeah. trusting other people when yeah. they say do this and it will change and your life will, it will you will live life better. Um, I live life pretty damn well today. It's the willingness to do it when you don't believe it. So yeah. Angela, it's kind of like fake it till you make it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Act as if. And it's okay to fake it. Yeah, it is. I, it was a surprise to me that it's okay to be angry at God. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can cuss at God, and that's a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Uh, because where you are is where, is where you are. And so that you don't need to pretend that you're more recovered than you are. You know, it's like, particularly after being sober a while, it's like, a, are you saying that becoming a spiritual gas giant is a trap? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not there yet because <laughs> I always have to be, a, I, you know, I've always got to take a look at my behavior. Mm-hmm. Angela, what have you done? What's sobriety like for you now? I mean, there's so many things, you know, and remembering that the people in AA are not the program of AA. I mean, I have this gift of these wonderful relationships and the women that I sponsor and my sponsor. Um, I'm able to suit up and show up. I'm able to do things without people pleasing or caretaking, like things that were so deeply embedded in who I was before I got here. You know, I'm able to do self-care and not self-indulgence all the time. I mean, it infiltrates every part of my life and I'm so grateful for that. And I don't want it any other way. I believe when it says practice these principles in all our affairs, that is what I aspire to do. There's nothing in my life that I don't try to apply this to. Um, And sometimes, you know, I may be like a little toddler running out in the street with my little AA tools and I may do a crappy job, but still I feel like that effort is going to be blessed more than my old way of doing things. So it's just, it's such a different life from the way I used to live. And I'm so grateful. You said before we got started that you go to meeting almost every day. I would say I still go to at least about five a week. Five a week. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that would definitely be an easy average. Yeah. Made easier by Zoom, right? Yeah. Made very easy by Zoom. And, you know, I've also, uh, you know, I've learned to apply the steps in other areas through sister fellowships. And so that's also, you know, I'll take all the, I'll incorporate anything I can into my recovery. And you, you mentioned sponsees. Yes. Yeah. I have uh, five sponsees right now. And wow, that's a lot. I'm very blessed too, because right now they're actually all really willing and they're amazing <laughs> and they inspire me. They excite me. I love to see how they're trying to, you know, really apply the program in every area. And, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I've, through my sponsorship family, I've been sponsored very much through the big book and through the 12 and 12. So y'all read and- together? Well, usually I have them read certain parts and then do writing and then we get together and kind of go back and forth with the readings and writings. I mean, I just, I love that no matter what I'm going through, there's something in the book that can help me. 
there's something in there that can help me. And yeah, always. And I'm so thankful that that's the kind of sponsorship family I've had as I'm, as I'm growing up in AA. Angela, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. But I would suggest Angela, there's, there's something hopping on there's the back of your shadow. sofa there. There's just sh- it's, Watch out. Watch out. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? Goodness, you've splattered a little bit on that one. I think you got the camera. You That's not all I'm gonna get. <laughs> you might you might ought to wear that mask on. Uh, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Oh, yeah. You. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, Sonny. I like the way you talk. <laughs> You'd think that we've never done this. <laughs> you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Stacy in Chicago. Ooh, controversy. Ooh. Is AA too male-dominated? Ooh, what say you, male? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll bring a male perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably so. Probably the literature is stated. You know, I went to the uh, area assembly for North Carolina yesterday, which was held on Zoom, 258 people on a Zoom meeting. Wow. It was very well organized. It worked really well. And there was someone from GSO, General Service Office in New York, who was in the literature committee, and they had a presentation and a study of the big book. The question that they asked was like, how is the big book used? What, what was it written for? Those kinds of questions, which was to bring the message to the still suffering alcoholic to be able to carry the program to someone who hasn't had it before. That's the purpose of it. So they were talking about how it taking that into account, it would be good to change the language to make it appropriate for the current time. And there are things in the big book that are sexist. <laughs> and, and it really bothered me when I first got sober. I thought, you know, this big book, what is this thing? This thing's got to be rewritten. This is ancient material. The little lady and that, that sort of stuff. So we were reading at a noon meeting in the book, and I read the part aloud. It was from Two Wives or something about the little lady, one of those comments. I was going, this is just terrible. This is like, this has got to be rewritten. And after the meeting, one of the ladies who had been sober for about 25 years <laughs> came up to me and said, because I, I had like three months. And she said, Don, if I can get sober with this book, you can get sober with this book. Quit fighting. They were back to fighting, Angela. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going, oh, so I'm not, they don't, I, it's really not my job to fight this book. So now I'm glad that it's being looked at. And I'm glad that it's being thought about. But in our area, there are women's meetings and men's meetings. And I like 
a gen, the gender specific meeting. I go to a men's meeting and I like it because there's, it's nice to be in a meeting where you don't, there's no sexual tension in the room. And well, I mean, well, you're I might gay, have so that changes the whole <laughs> mixes everything up, but, and that serves a useful purpose, but I don't think it's good to just go to men's meetings either because I want to hear everybody's perspective and I want to hear the perspective of the, some of the women in the meeting are, have helped me in, in ways I just need, we need everybody's point of view. I think every person it's like a, it's a window onto the world and, you know, a, a window onto what my higher power is. It's, it's each person has their own view. And when I'm talk to them, I get to look out of their window for a little while. And that's useful because I'm getting a lot of points of view and I'm, I'm looking at the whole world. So for me, I don't believe in just sticking to one type of meeting, but they're there. So I don't think it's, I just don't think it is. If you depends on the meetings you go to and who you talk to, and I'll tell you what, it's real easy for me to identify myself out of a meeting. And I can still do it to this day. It's like going, this meeting is not for me. I'm not part of this. I, you know, I'm outside of this. And I've struggled with this in sobriety. And I've talked about this before a few years ago. It was like two years ago. There was a meeting I've been going to on Thursday nights. And I'd been going to that meeting for a year. And I was driving over there going, oh, this, this meeting, they, they have a pretty good meeting. This is my sponsee's meeting. It's his meeting. And I'm going to go. And I was going, why am I doing this? I've been going to this meeting for a year. And I was looking at it like I'm visiting and analyzing, you know, a, another species of animal. <laughs> I was like, let's drop in and see what's like at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I said, this is ridiculous. So I went to, went to that meeting and I started shaking everybody's hand and welcoming them to the meeting. And I was in the meeting. I was no longer apart from. So it's very, I have to really watch this thing of identifying myself out. And I can do it with men and women. I can do it with all these people at this meeting are wealthy and I'm, you know, I, I don't have this kind of money or I can do it where all these people in this meeting are workers, working people, and I'm too good for these people. Or I can do it that I'm an artist and all these people are idiots or I can do it with, <laughs> I can do it with any kind of category. I need to identify in instead of identify out. What do you think, Angela? So what, the question is, do I believe AA is male-dominated? Is, is AA too male-dominated? Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't really have a big, huge opinion. That's not my experience in AA. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I live in a city where there are about 120 meetings a week. And so if I don't like one meeting or I feel like it's too dominant, I can go to a different one. Um, and I also have a lot of women in my network that are so serious about sobriety that that's what my sobriety world is, you know, filled with. So I think our sobriety world is filled with what we surround ourselves with. And 
then just a little bit of a comment about, and you know, to me, I don't care if it's male, I don't care who it's dominated. I just got to be there. You know, that's all I know because I know that without it, I'll drink again. The other thing, like the big book to me, I love the big book. I don't want it to change um, very much that if it was good enough for the first 100 and now has helped millions get sober that I don't want to see it changed. And I just use that, the acronym Q-TIP, which is quit taking it personally. I don't care that they were sexist. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't affect me. You know, that's the way it was perceived at the time. But what can I pull out and use today in a way that's going to help me stay sober? That's all that matters to me. So it really doesn't bother me. Um, and male-dominated, chicken dominated, whatever, I'm going to be in AA, you know, no matter what. So you're looking for the answer. I'm looking for the solution. <laughs> Y'all this approach, my favorite thing in the big book is above the acceptance paragraph where it says, when I let go of the problem and started living in the solution, since then I've not had a desire to drink. And that's how I live my whole life today is I look for the solution. I don't look for trying to nitpick and find the problems and fight every battle. And, you know, I want to live in the solution in every aspect of my life. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Don, first of all, thank you for doing your, your general service uh, responsibilities and showing up as your, are you the alternate GSR for your group? I think. No, I'm GSR. You're GSR. Okay. Well, thank you for showing up for the service general service assembly. I love knowing that they are, looking at the literature as well, because I mean, there, there, and, and there's a whole lot more literature in, in AA than just the big book. There's all kinds of pamphlets and guidelines and, you know, the website and videos that are produced and, and all kinds of things. But one of the things that I really like, there, there's two parts to Alcoholics Anonymous. There's the program and there's the fellowship. The program is the first 164 pages of the big book. The 12 steps are our program of action. And one of the things that, because that book really is dated, I mean, it was written in the late 30s, 1930s. So the early 1900s, not the late 1900s, like 1999. <laughs> but just because the language is so different than what we use today, it makes it all the more important to go through the big book, at least your first time, uh, with a sponsor. Someone who's been through the big book, who understands what's being said there and can help you get it without losing the, the point because of the language, whether because the language is dense or is old terms or it's sexist or whatever. So the program is there and we have guides to help us get through the program. And those guides are called sponsors. Now, I do love the fact that AA is looking at being more inclusive in, in its language and in how it presents things. Will the first 164 pages ever be uh, changed? No, they're not going to be changed. Now, they might get footnotes and things like that. And there's even been talk about a rewrite of the book of the first 164 as a supplement, but they'll never go away. And that's great. That's good. But then the other side of this is fellowship. Yes, it is male dominated in some places. Hence, yes, it is fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Fellowship. But it, it is also female dominated 
in some places, probably mm-hmm. many fewer places, much fewer places, but still. It's gay dominated in some places. It's white dominated for, to be sure, but in some places it's black dominated. So it's, it, it is that business of going and finding where you feel comfortable doing the fellowship part of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I can't speak to a woman's perspective and in, in, in the male domination side of it, but I can absolutely speak to the gay side of it. And when I came into the rooms, I was afraid of straight men. I did not trust you guys. I thought that I was in danger. I had fortunately gay AA available to me so that I could go to an AA meeting and not have to worry about the gay stuff. And I could actually pay attention to the AA stuff. And that is the thing that I suspect is in play, at least at the start, for women who go to women's meetings because it's a safe space where they don't have to deal with men, they don't have to think about that, and they can pay attention to the AA part. Mm -hmm. Um, The same thing for men. Men going to men's meetings early in recovery, well, that removes that distraction of women because that's going on. Or maybe men are afraid to share in front of women. I, you know, the, the, we got all these things. So we do have these gender specific or characteristic specific meetings. Um, and then we've got ones that just kind of happen that way. There are meetings that are predominantly black. There are meetings that are predominantly white. There are meetings that are predominantly rich. There are meetings that are predominantly poor. I mean, I really like the mixed up meetings. I like the, the variety. I love the fact that we are a cross section of society. And when I can go to meetings that are truly that cross section of society, that's some cool experience. Is it too male dominated? Well, if it's male dominated, then it's too male dominated. I think, yes, it's male dominated, but there are plenty of spaces that are available that women are safe and are able to have a full and rich experience of AA to the point where they can then be comfortable in their own recovery and take that full and rich experience out into the co-ed meetings, if you will, and show the women that are there what a strong, proud woman who don't need no man. Um, I was trying to be cute there. I really need to brush up on my movie lines because there's a movie line in that thing somewhere. That was good. If only you'd had a wig on. (laughs) (laughs) Angela, thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's been a real joy. Watch out for that owl. It's about to swoop. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. though yeah (laughs) that's right nowadays there's no standards whatsoever anymore
Yes, there are. Y'all still make me put on clothes. Damn it. (laughs) Shoot. I got called out for not wearing a coat and ties to speak. (laughs) (laughs) As Fred said, I I always wear a coat and tie when I speak. (laughs) Nowadays, people lie down in bed in their pajamas. I saw a guy that had on his boxers and he was adjusting himself during the meeting and he stood up. I guess he forgot that he, yeah, it was nice. He didn't know what he was doing. I I think I would turn off his video. Yeah. I was hosting. (laughs) You're not suitable.